I'd like to begin by asking you a question. By show of hands this morning, how many of you know the name of the generation that you belong to? All right? Some, most of us. Uh, well, in case you don't, I'm going to help you out. There are some of you who didn't lift up your hands. Uh, the research suggests that there are seven living generations among us. If you were born between 1901 and 1924, you've been around for a while, and you're awesome. And you're part of what Tom Brokaw coined as the greatest generation, uh, also known as the GI generation. If you were born between 1925 and 1945, then you're part of what is known as the silent or the traditionalist generation. If you're born between 46 and 64, then you're a baby boomer. If you're born between 1965 and 1980, that's me and others. We're part of Generation X, also known as the Latchkey Kids. If you're born between 1981 and 1996, then you're part of Generation Y, better known as the Millennials. If you're born between 97 and 2010, you're part of Generation Z, or what has also become known as iGen. And if you're born after 2010, you're probably not paying attention to what I'm talking about anyway. (laughs) Kidding. (laughs) Kidding. You're part of what's being called Generation Alpha. So there you have it. Everyone should know the name of your generation now. I don't know about you, but I I really do enjoy reading about all the differences between the generations. There's quite a bit of research out there. There's a lot to kind of take in. It's all pretty interesting. Um, However, what researchers are discovering is that the so-called generational gaps are not as big as they once thought they were. In fact, a recent study from Cambridge University Press on intergenerational differences suggests there is little solid empirical evidence supporting generationally based differences and almost no theory behind why such differences differences should even matter. There's also an article in the Harvard Business Review that argues that the bigger problem is not that differences between our generations might exist, but that people believe they exist and then let those beliefs affect how they interact with the other generations. And so according to these studies, perhaps we've been making too big a deal about our generational differences. And I get that because we tend to make too big a deal about most things. But here's my goal of the message this morning. No matter which of these generations you might belong to, I want you to allow David this morning in Psalm 24 to call you out of that generation and to become part of a new generation, to use the words in verse 6 of Psalm 24, part of the generation of those who seek God. The generation of those who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Church, my prayer this week has been for the Lord to use this psalm to do a great work in us, 
to transform us from a people whose generation has been solely based upon our date of birth, and instead, may the Holy Spirit transform us into a generation defined not by when we were born, but by who we are seeking. Psalm 24, 6, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. I want to be part of this generation, amen? I want to be a part of the generation known as the seekers of the Lord. May we become a people known as the seeker generation. As I've done uh, for several years now, I'm going to begin the calendar year in the Psalms. Uh, And so if you're keeping record at home, I'm going to be preaching the next six weeks in a row uh, from the Psalms, beginning today with Psalm 24, and then we'll conclude in Psalm 29. So that's where we're going. And uh, that'll get us about a fifth of the way there with about 120 left. So we're on our way, but that'll... That'll get us almost a fifth of the way there. Uh, But today, we want to spend time here with these 10 verses uh, that we call Psalm 24, and that I'm calling the seeker generation, this psalm calling us to become the seeker generation. You know, this psalm asks the important question, who? And if you like to write and underline and circle in your Bibles like I do, uh, then I want to encourage you to circle the word who because uh, it happens a lot here. It happens uh, two times in verse 3. It happens two times in verse 4. And then it also happens in verse 8 and then also in verse 10. Um, It's an important question that this psalm asks. And if the Holy Spirit's going to transform us into a generation of those who seek him, then who is it that we're seeking? That's why that question's important. Who is this God we seek? Well, Psalm 24 answers this question in three distinct ways, and we're going to look at each one this morning. This God whose, fake we, whose face we seek, this God whom were the, that David's calling this generation to seek after is the God of greatness. It's going to be verses 1 and 2. The God of goodness, verses 3 through 5. And the God of glory, verses 7 through 10. God of greatness, the God of goodness, and the God of glory. And we're going to talk about each one. And here's my prayer. Here's how I'm asking the Holy Spirit, to use this psalm to transform our lives. And I I hope you're able this morning to hear this at a heart level because I've been asking the Holy Spirit to use these words to transform us from a people who are seeking to become great. You know, we, we, we may be a people who are trying to become great at our jobs, or maybe we're, we're people who are wanting to become great uh, with our marriage. Or we're wanting to become great, have great bodies. Or, 
great intelligence or great at golf. I don't know, however you want to fill in that blank. We're trying to become great at something, whatever it is. And instead of being a people who seek to become great, the shift, the transformation this morning is instead to be a people who are seeking the God of greatness. Are you following me? I'm getting quite a bit of feedback in my microphone. Is that my, is this, is that this or is it this? This is muted? It's this? All right. Is that bothering people? All right, it's just me. That's good. I can deal with it. Okay, but we want, so the, the shift then is to seek from, from, from becoming great to instead seeking after the God of greatness. All right, that's a shift. I've also been asking the Spirit to transform us from a people who are seeking to become good, known you know, we, we, we want to become good people. We want to be known as people with good character, full of good deeds. And the shift is from seeking to become someone who's, who's seeking to become good and instead into a people who are seeking the God of goodness. And there's a difference. And I hope that makes sense to you. That's the transformation Instead of being known as a people who are seeking to become great, we're known as a people who are seeking the God of greatness. Instead of being known as a people who are seeking to become good, we're we're, we're known as a people who are seeking the God of goodness. There's a big difference, and my prayer's been that the Holy Spirit bring about that change in our hearts. Okay, let's first look at the God of greatness in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 24. I want to read again uh, verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Now, uh, here in the Hebrew text, the first word of verse 1, placing it in the position of emphasis for the entire psalm, is the word Yahweh. Now, when they made it, did all the translation into English, they changed it around so the English would sound better. But in the Greek, I mean, not in the Greek, in the Hebrew, the very first word in that place of emphasis is Yahweh. It's the name of the self-revealed God of the Old Testament. Whenever you're reading through your English Bibles and you see the word Lord, that's all caps, then you know that's the word being translated. It's Yahweh. And in the Hebrew, this psalm begins with Yahweh, apostrophe S. So the language here is possessive. It literally reads, Yahweh's is the earth and everything in it. Yahweh's is the world and all who live in it. The earth and everything in it, the world and all of who live in it, belong to Yahweh. It all belongs to him, all of it, every last bit of it. The language here is all-encompassing. There's nothing that does not belong to him. Why does it all belong to him? Well, the logic here is simple in verse 2, because he founded it upon the seas. 
and he established it upon the waters. It all belongs to him because he made all of it. Every last bit of it. He made it. It belongs to him. He created it, and it belongs to him. So in these first two verses, we see the greatness of our God. All of creation belongs to him. Everything you see, no matter how big or how small, it belongs to him. God made over 400 billion stars in our galaxy alone. Get your mind wrapped around that. He made 400 billion stars in our galaxy, which is just one of what scientists are estimating as two trillion galaxies in our universe. That amazed Siri. That should amaze you. Do you know which creature has the largest population on our planet? Judah Allen and I were talking about this Wednesday night. Do you know which creature? There's more of this creature than any other creature on our planet. The ant. There are more ants than any other creature. It's estimated that there are over 20 quadrillion ants. Now, in case you don't know what that number is, I didn't know either. That's 2.5 million ants per person. I know that ants are known as hard workers. I tell you, if they ever get it together, they're going to take over. <laughs> Just by sheer numbers alone, I think 2.5 million ants could take me out. Here's the thing. God made every single one of them. And each one belongs to him. Everything you see, everyone you know, no matter how significant or insignificant, he made them and they belong to him. And most importantly, he made you and you belong to him. The God who made the stars, God who made the ants, he made you. Everything, everyone belongs to him. So God is a God of greatness. Why would we ever seek to become great ourselves when we have such a great God to seek after? Now, let's look at the God of goodness. In verses 3 through 5 of Psalm 24. I want to read through these verses again. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, his Savior. Goodness. You see, goodness is different from greatness. You can be great and not be good. There's a lot of people in this world who are great and not good. But God is both. 
Not only is God great, but He's also so good. Many commentators refer to this psalm as an entrance psalm. It was one that was sung as the Levites and the priests were on their way to serve their appointed time in the temple. One group would sing out, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? And then another group would answer in song, He who has clean hands and a pure heart and who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. As I've already stated, the question asked by this psalm is who? It's referred to as an entrance psalm because it asks the question, who is worthy to enter the presence of God? And in verse 4, David answers the question, and this is key. He, he answers the question in ethical terms because it has to do with goodness. You see, for the God of Jacob, even though the temple was in Jerusalem, and for a time God did, in a way, tie his earthly presence specifically to the nation of Israel, Being in the presence of God has nothing to do with being part of a certain ethnic group and instead is better understood in ethical terms. You see, it's not ethnics, it's ethics. Who dares to enter the presence of God? God is a God of goodness. So it's not an ethnics question, but an ethical one. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. One's hands were a metaphor for your external life or your behavior. One's heart was a metaphor for your internal life or your character. So it's one whose outside was clean and inside was pure. Leighton Flowers is an author And in his book, God's Provision for All, he wrote this. It has made our quote board in the dining room that I've told you about before. It's a recent addition. But he wrote wrote this. One cannot separate character from behavior. That's a really good quote. One cannot separate character from behavior. Now, Jesus said it this way. He said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. In other words, I can know your character by observing your behavior because you cannot separate the two. Your behavior tells me everything I need to know about your character. So goodness here is goodness of character and behavior. It's clean hands and a pure heart. It's both. Listen. If you don't know this about our God, you have to know this about him. He's so good. His character is always good, and his behavior is always good. Both. You can't separate the two. Always. Everything God is, everything God does is good. Always. All the time. Count on it. Bank on it. There's no debate. One author puts it this way. He writes that God is both genuinely and recognizably good. It's both. 
Goodness is both his character and his behavior, always. So good. I I don't have time this morning to tell you how good he is. I could spend the rest of the day telling you how good our God is. Both who he is and what he does, it's good. He's so great and he's so good. And so why? Why are we a people who seek after goodness? When we have such a God of goodness who we can seek after. Why do we seek to be good when there's such a God of goodness who we could seek after? This brings us to the third answer to the who question. Who is this God of Jacob whose face we seek? The God of greatness, the God of goodness, and lastly, he's the God of glory. Verses 7 through 10, let's read these together again. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty, Lord of hosts, Lord of heaven's armies. He is the king of glory. The title, King of Glory, occurs five times in these four verses. And then we don't find that title anywhere else in the Old Testament. Right here. Five times. And here's the point the psalmist is making. The answer to the who question. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? There's only one answer to that question. In case you're hard of hearing, like William likes to say that I am now that I'm 50, or perhaps you're just a little stubborn at heart. If that's the case, it's repeated five times here for you. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only the king of glory. Who would dare enter the presence of God? The king of glory, that's who. You see... Here's why this shift needs to happen in all of our lives. This shift that I've been praying for, this transformation that I've been praying for in our hearts this week. Here's why this shift, this transformation needs to happen. Because at the end of our days, it does not matter how great you have become. Doesn't matter. And at the end of your life, it does not matter how much good you did. It doesn't matter. But hear this clearly. 
Neither your greatness nor your goodness will help you enter into the presence of the God of glory. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Paul would write that we all have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. If entering into the presence of the God of glory is the end, then because of our sin, we fall terribly short. And church, let me be the first one in line to admit to you my sin and to confess to you that because of my sin, I fall woefully short of entering into the presence of the God of glory. But the good news of Jesus Christ is this. Listen to the good news. Since we cannot enter into the presence of the God of glory. Are you ready for this? It's so good. Oh, we think, we think we can enter into it through our greatness, through our goodness, but we fall so ever short. Here's the good news. Since we cannot enter into the presence of the God of glory, instead, the King of glory enters into us. And transforms us into his likeness with ever increasing glory. Amen? That's good news. No other religion, no other philosophy makes such a claim. No other movement suggests that the living presence of its founder enters into its followers. Muhammad does not indwell Muslims. Buddha does not inhabit Buddhists. But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 127 that the mystery of Christianity is Christ in you. The hope of our glory. He's the hope of our glory. Do you hear what Paul's saying there? Our only hope of glory is through the King of glory entering into us. Who is this King of glory? Who is he, this King of glory? the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the King of glory. And he stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. 
I, uh, we had the opportunity this weekend on Friday to, uh, to be at a funeral. And uh, it's my friend Randaddy, Randy Patterson, that has preached here, and many of y'all know. Um, his his 19-year-old grandson was shot and killed in Nashville, and uh, Randy spoke at the funeral Friday that we attended. And he was speaking to a room full of young people who were not seeking the God of glory. He was speaking to a room full of young people who didn't know the King of glory. Randy so beautifully shared the gospel of Jesus Christ And then he said this, he said, the human heart is the only door that just has a knob on the inside. Human heart is the only door that just has a knob on the inside. And the king of glory knocks. Open up your heart and let the King of glory in. I want to conclude today by sharing a hymn written back in 1624. That was a while back by George Weissel. He was so moved by verses 7 through 10 of Psalm 24 that he wrote this hymn. The hymn is titled, Lift Up Your Heads, Ye Mighty Gates. I want to share this as a means of invitation, not only to you who have not opened up your heart to the King of glory, but to those of us who claim that we have to open it up wider to him. Listen to these beautiful words written 400 years ago. Lift up your heads, ye mighty gates. Behold, the King of glory waits. The King of kings is drawing near. The Savior of the world is here. Fling wide the portals of your heart. Make it a temple set apart. From earthly use for heaven's employ. Adorned with prayer and love and joy. Redeemer, come with us abide. Our hearts to thee we open wide. Let us thy inner presence feel, thy grace and love in us reveal. Thy Holy Spirit lead us on until our glorious goal is won. Eternal praise, eternal fame, be offered Savior to thy name. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we we just lift up our hearts to you. I love the words of this hymn. This is my prayer for the rest of my life. I pray this for our church, that we will fling wide the portals of our hearts. 
Make it a temple set apart. King of glory, come in. Take up every corner, every nook and cranny. Take up residence. Create in us. Transform us. To be known as a generation not defined by the day we were born, but defined by who we are seeking. May we be a generation of those who seek you, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, uh, the invitation is, as I've, I've said already, if there's anybody here who's not opened up their heart to Christ, We'd love for you to open up your heart this morning and let the King of glory in. Repent of your sins. Come to him. Put your faith in him. Put your faith in him in baptism this morning. Open up your heart and let the King of glory come in and reside there and transform your life. Transform the trajectory of your life. Would love to be a part of that this morning. Let's sing a song of invitation. Stand together and sing.